The Fed doing Fed things, a big week in earnings, a surprising job number, and a Chinese balloon over Montana. Welcome. A lot to talk about on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad you're here in the next hour. Last week in the Axiom, we asked you, how do you stay sharp in retirement? We had a huge amount of response, really good stuff. We're going to share some of them and also go over that in this weekend's Axiom. Ask Annex is on the way, asking about stable value funds, mutual and ETF returns, what to watch there, how do you get into a dividend stock and when should you and do you follow a successful etf or fund manager that's coming up toward the end of the show grandparents i think this segment is for you how to make a kid rich on a dollar a day that's all coming up i'm danny clayton Derek felsky our chief investment officer welcome thank you danny got dave spano on the line he is president and ceo annex wealth management welcome to you dave yeah, thanks, Danny. And that is exactly right. Thanks for laying that out. There's uh, three big stories. One, the long-awaited Fed meeting happened this week. And so we're going to talk about that earnings. We're right in the middle of it. Amazon, Alphabet, and Apple all reporting this week. And we ended Friday on a jobs report that was way, way better than expected, Derek. Yeah, the jobs report really was outstanding. Uh, the, the payroll report came in at 517,000 jobs added uh, versus a 190 estimate. They also revised December up and the unemployment rate dropped to the lowest level in over 50 years to 3.4% when folks were expecting 3.6. So a, a really strong report. We've said the labor market is strong. Average hourly earnings, though, another bit of good news, moderated a little bit to a 4.4% annual run rate versus 4.6 last month. So clearly the Fed uh, governors are smiling. Let's sew this all together because they are all interconnected. The jobs report is is strong, and that really throws a wrench in the Fed uh, plan, though, Derek, because obviously they're trying to raise rates to slow the growth and this whole wage price spiral conversation continues to happen. But when you see a, a jobs report, we're at a 50 year low in unemployment rate. Again, anybody who wants a job can get a job. The ratio of uh, open jobs to those seeking is almost two to one. So that is something that goes right into the feds, uh, the fed speak and the fed decisions. And let's talk about that because Jerome Powell came out this week and said, he's starting to see some disinflationary pressures, but then he did say we could see a couple more rate hikes. He did. And he, you know, again, talked about data dependency. I think the thing that people took positively from that was people expected him to kind of adopt a Jackson Hole tone, you know, where basically he's scolding the markets for running ahead for easing financial conditions, which could make the Fed's job tighter. But I think the, the gist of this is that the timing of a recession has been pushed off. We're clearly not going into a recession when we're seeing jobs reports like this or the ISM services number, which came in much better than expected on Friday as well. So market positioning at the beginning of the year was clearly offside. The NASDAQ is up 17 percent year to date. You know, we talk about uh, recession, the long-awaited recession, and, you know, in our years in this business, we've seen jobless recoveries, but I'm not sure that we've ever had a recession with the lowest unemployment rate in recent memory. So there is a disconnect which could suggest that rates will be higher for longer. Right. And, and we've talked often that the playbook has kind of been thrown out. You know, COVID was an, a unique circumstance. We closed the economy on purpose. As a result, people bought lots of goods while they're shackled in their homes. But now as they're out and, and the economy reopens, which incidentally China is going to begin doing soon as well, they're shifting more services so that services unemployment rate is stubbornly low you can't find enough qualified people and that supported the ongoing correction in the goods producing sector 
you know, you, uh, I don't want to get too far afield, but Danny, you did bring up China and the balloon <laughs> floating over Montana, the spy balloon. I thought, found that as an interesting story. They had uh, actually stopped uh, planes departing in one of the airports in Montana and had some uh, military jets ready to go. I got some relatives out there that could probably take care of that. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, they're they're going to watch it. It may be uh, it may be a spy balloon that is disengaged. We're not sure yet, but they're clearly watching that. And of course, China continues to be a big part of our conversation because the reopening, Derek, will continue to be part of the conversation because their GDP is enormous. And so as they come back online, that's one more issue that the Fed is going to have to work with because they, of course, could be an inflationary pressure as well. So all of this goes into the decision of what should your portfolio look like and what's going to happen? And I, you know, I've said often that, you know, anytime that everyone is on one side of the table, in other words, saying that we will have a recession in 2023, we're going to have to wait and see how that really works. Make sure your portfolio is aligned with these facts and circumstances. whole lot more to talk about. Stick around. We're going to cover it next. This is great information, and we want you to have it whenever you need it. We can review available on demand this weekend, our YouTube channel, The Axiom, our Sunday morning newsletter, or Spotify at the top of the hour. Just search Annex Wealth Management. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, February 4th. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Sign up for the Axiom, our free weekly newsletter. Great information in there. We're all over social media, but YouTube especially good with our YouTube channel with a lot of videos, all produced by Annex Wealth Management and designed for you and your education. SWAT podcast, Monday mornings from members of the Annex Wealth Management investment team. Just a reminder, this show available on demand at the top of the hour on Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano is our president and CEO. Thanks, Danny. I want to continue our conversation. You know, there's no doubt that all of these pieces are starting to uh, sew themselves together. The Fed earnings, uh, the jobs report. But, you know, these earnings reports, you know, we circled this week in probably December and said the Fed is going to speak and the earnings are going to come out and it's going to be widely awaited. And we saw this week the reporting of the biggest tech companies in the world. Right. I mean, Apple reported initially people saw it as an earnings miss, which it was the first time since 2016. But they explained it. It was due to some iPhone supply constraints in China and foreign exchange. But generally speaking, Apple, I would not care characterize it as a miss really I would say it was an inline quarter better than feared another big report also on Thursday was as Amazon Amazon did miss numbers uh, the stock did trade lower their AWS which is a growth engine for them uh, missed and is slowing dramatically we saw that also in Microsoft's report so Amazon was under pressure on Friday Starbucks missed 20 sales were down 29 percent in China because essentially the China was locked down and people weren't allowed to go out and and get coffee if, to the degree that they do and then finally, Meta reported a much better than expected quarter. People had been upset about the spending spree that Zuckerberg had gone on in order to, to fuel the uh, what he believes a metaverse concept. They also announced a $40 billion buyback program, and that stock was up 23% on the day. Yeah, and so, you know, we think about uh, these big companies for a specific reason. They uh they have an overwhelming weight in the S&P 500 and constitute um, around 20% of the entire 500 companies come from those top five or six. And so we do pay attention to it, but there certainly has been opportunity throughout the S&P 500 and down cap. We see mid cap and small cap, and especially the triple Q's NASDAQ really had a nice week. Yeah, and the interesting thing is if you look at the market with a technical perspective, you see a lot of good signs. You have a golden cross, meaning the 50-day average on the has crossed over the 200-day 
day average on the S&P. You see much better breadth than we saw in the rallies that we saw earlier this year. And the fear and greed index, which we look at as a measure of optimism or pessimism, is tagged 80 on Friday, which is the highest number we've seen in over a year. So if you hold stocks that were down dramatically last year, Coinbase would be perhaps an example. That stock has doubled year to date. Now might be the time to pair that back if you don't have conviction in it going forward. And that is something for sure that we go through every position. And we would not only do fundamental analysis, we do technical analysis. If you're not getting that from your current relationship, go ahead and give us a try because this is what we do with every portfolio and every single holding. I want to move on and talk really about a big story, and that is oil. Of course, we all know that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve had been drawn down, and that had kept oil prices down, which is part of the inflationary argument. But that has ceased, and of course, they're going to have to start filling that up. So all eyes for the next foreseeable future is going to be on energy. Right, and we know that exploration has started to tick up a little bit, but nowhere near what you'd expect given the current price of oil. We saw that both Chevron and Exxon declared massive dividends dividends, also massive share buybacks. So those companies are doing extremely well. And the important thing on earnings is the the energy sector strength has masked the deterioration of earnings across the S&P. So a lot of this negativity about future growth has been priced in, which is part of the reason why I think people, you know, essentially portfolio managers chose not to find what they didn't want to see. In other words, they didn't want to see the green shoots that were starting to appear, that valuations become more attractive, the odds of a soft landing were increasing, and the Fed was closer to ending their tightening uh, realm than than continuing it. And so, folks, I don't want you to to conflate uh, volatility with risk. Volatility is going to be with us for a bit throughout this year, but uh, risk is in a whole different conversation. Go through and get an assessment that we give to every single person that walks through the door, and that can be done through our wealth metric process. Absolutely, and you can do that by heading to our website. Yep, you can do it on a weekend. It's Annex Wealth. Dot com. Click that Get Started button. What we do is investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. You might say, well, I do a couple of those. It's not really a fully built plan, and we want you to have one of those for this year and beyond. It's built by the power of the entire Annex Wealth Management team, and most importantly, we are a fee-only fiduciary. Hey, how do you stay sharp while retired? We asked in last weekend's Axiom poll. We're going to talk about it next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? This topic is going to make you scratch your head. Is retirement bad for your brain? I spotted that headline, wanted to dig a little deeper to help us out. Deanne Phillips is here. Hey, Deanne. Hi, Danny. Author Mitch Anthony is the author of The New Retirementality. Yeah, I love him. You know, I had the privilege of hearing him speak live several years ago, and he's actually given permission for us to use some of his concepts and materials for our workshops with women and wealth. He writes really great stuff. Well, how about that? Well, in this book, he writes, quote, there's a 30% reduction in short-term memory. Boredom is a real thing. The human species needs something productive to do. Otherwise, life feels aimless. A lot of retirees say they're busy. Busy? Doing what? Doing something 18 levels below your pay grade is not good for you, unquote. So, Dan, you know this guy. Um, you've seen his stuff before. Do you see it sometimes with clients? Yeah, we really do. You know, it's very human while we're working or, or when we're retired also to confuse activity with productivity, right? So while we might be, quote unquote, busy, we're not actually being productive. And, you know, we've always said you don't stop being an A-type personality in retirement, right? So challenge is important. 
Axiom is the free weekly newsletter that we publish from Annex Wealth Management. And in a recent issue, we got at this, asking... If you are retired, how do you keep your brain active and challenged? We got a lot of feedback. In fact, too many to share all of them. Many, many people said they are active readers. Many do puzzles like Sudoku. A lot of people do Wordle. Deanna, kind of want to go through some of the favorites that I got because they're really good. Here's one. Reading the same technical type articles as when I was working. I also like doing the same type of work, but as a hobby interesting. That is interesting. You know, one of the things that I'm noting based on what you've been citing before is really good brain activity, but sedentary. And really, you know, to keep the brain active, there needs to be engagement with the body as well. I found it of interest where people were talking about grandchildren, because I think you'd be hard pressed to say you're not going to be active physically if you're taking care of little grandchildren, right? Oh, here's one. Listen to this. Owning racehorses, Volunteer work, sitting on boards, rental properties, helping young grandkids with math homework oh that goodness. I don't understand, <laughs> yeah. and then travel to new parts of the world. So you're <laughs> right. If you tried to teach a, a child how they learn long division in the last couple decades, it's a real challenge. Well, this is what they talk about, <laughs> challenging yourself. It's that neuroplasticity that we need to challenge ourselves. Uh, here, here's another one, working on mathematical things exercise. Here's another. Genealogy research, working out with a trainer and then asking which muscles are being utilized. And that's from somebody that was over 70 years old. I love that. And, you know, age should not be a factor in all this. You know, we do what we're comfortable doing movement wise, but it is important to stay active. It does help studies show engaging the brain and longevity when we're physically and mentally active. So making sure that we do get out of that chair or if we're chair bound, we're doing chair exercises, right? To, yep. to make sure that we get that connectivity. Different chemicals are released in the brain when you physically exercise as well. So again, I I think it's equally important. The question in Axiom was, if you're retired, how do you keep your brain active and challenged? We're just kind of going through a couple of these. Here's another one, social interaction. And a lot of people mention this too, because we know that and studies show us that Alzheimer's, you know, depression for sure, has a lot to do with isolation too. So being in an environment or having exposure to an environment where you're interacting with others who are doing an activity that you like, where you're doing it together, that also increases some of the right hormones and and keeps you sharp, too. Here's one. Primarily by deliberating, learning new things across a breadth of topics and activities like landscaping, making espresso, workout routines, cooking, finance, and more. Start by reading, online learning, then try fail and try again. Yeah, one person said trading commodities. Uh, Maybe that falls under that too, but I'll tell you what, I used to say that my my idea of retirement is never having to watch CNBC ever again as long as I live, because I've had decades and decades and decades with it in front of my face, but uh, no, really. Uh, You know, learning something new. So some people said a musical instrument, which, you know, is very mathematical. Mm -hmm. That also, again, incorporates the body and the mind. Yeah, and you know, folks, you might stink at it in the beginning, but that's okay if you're not stimulated any idea when does this start to happen in retirement if people aren't kind of keeping themselves stimulated is it not a first year thing is it well different people have different attention spans and time frames so I guess I can answer it this way I remember when my father retired he was 65 years old the average age he was forcibly retired he wouldn't have chosen to do it his whole department got laid off and he ended up going okay this is great I can golf I can play tennis I can swim that lasted for three months. Yeah. 
you know, long enough to figure out that you need to do something else. Exactly. Researchers said they hope the findings will influence how retirees view their retirement activities from a more holistic perspective and pay attention to social engagement, active volunteering, participating in activities, fostering mental acuity. It's easier said than done. It is. You know, we all love the idea of retiring early, but remember, we're retiring to something, not from something. So we have to figure this out ahead of time. Yep. And we think about this for you guys. We really, really do. We want to put a great plan together, but then we want to talk about life in retirement. That is really important. You can start. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP, CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It is Saturday, February 4th. More to come, including Ask Annex, and we're going to dig into how to make a kid rich on a dollar a day. Bottom of the hour, let's check in with the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. Joined in the studio by Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Matt Morsey is Investment Team Manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Got a bunch. And folks, here's how it goes. If you got a question for us, wide open, head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. Don't have to be a client. We get back to everybody. Some wind up on the radio, like this one from Kyle. Can you please explain how a stable value fund works? Yeah, it's a lot more complicated than, than I even thought going into it. Uh, So stable value fund is something that's only going to be found in CIT um, structure. So it's not an ETF or a mutual fund. It's only an ERISA type plan. So if you think of 401k, not going to be available in an IRA or taxable account would be the easy way to think of that. And it's generally considered to be like the cash or the stable part of a portfolio, but it's a little bit more detailed than that. So the goal there is to provide a return that's greater than your money market, but with the same stability. So essentially it's a basket of bonds or, or fixed income but they use insurance contracts in order to stabilize the price of it. So they're able to get a higher yield, but protect that there's no principal fluctuation through there. So a couple of things to think of from that standpoint is you're going to get a better yield than a money market in most situations. The other thing is that money markets reset their prices more frequently. So in a rising rate environment that we've had now, money markets probably are paying more than your stable value is, but that should catch up over time. Second to think of is your 401k administrator. There are some rules around that. So when you think of that, if you're going to move from one provider to another, uh, you might have some money locked up or additional fees you might have to pay in order to move that. So it ends up being pretty complicated, but I would think of it as a higher yielding money market. Same principle, stability, but a generally higher yield. Next up is from Stu. Are mutual fund and ETF returns shown before or after fees? Well, generally mutual funds will show the return net of fees, but you can see it both ways because every share class has a different fee structure. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember is that performance is generally going to be shown after fees. So although fee is extremely important and study after study show is that you want to keep fees as low as possible for better long-term results, that sometimes it's worth paying that fee. You do get what you pay for sometimes. So just picking based off of that fee is going to be a little bit short when it comes to that overall return. Yeah, and a lot of times when you say you get what you pay for, expense ratio fee could be over 1%. But if that mutual fund manager is generating a lot of alpha, like you said, you get what you pay for and it's worth that fee. Yeah. And certainly another thing to think about too, is that you might have two ETFs that are tracking the same index, but you might have a different fee. So that's when it really is important because you really are paying for the same thing. You want to take the lower cost option there. Yeah, and you also want to see where he is in the in relations to his peers, right? If he's number 80 out of 100 in his share class on performance, I don't know if that larger fee is worth it. Which leads us to an anonymous question. How key to the success of an ETF or mutual fund is the manager? Have you ever exited a fund because of change in leadership? Yeah, I think it's certainly vital. 
recently we haven't left any funds because a manager changed, but we haven't had that situation come up. To us, where it becomes a little bit more important is that we oftentimes will pick a fund because of who the manager is. And one thing that we like to do is follow a manager from one place to another. So a lot of times you'll have a manager have a lot of success at one firm, the fund gets really, really large, and they become less nimble and able to put their strategy out there. So what they'll do is they'll either leave and start their own company, their own fund company, or they'll get recruited away to go to someplace else. And a lot of times we'll wait for them to do that and then invest with them at the new fund because they start off with a smaller dollar amount. They're more nimble. They're really able to execute their strategy. Uh, so we'll oftentimes follow a manager from one place to another. But also you want to look at what analysts that they have too. If you had an analyst that left, maybe you're the same overall manager, but maybe that was the key. Their success was that specific analyst. And that's the advantage of having an active management team. We do all that research for you. So all those prospectuses that you guys are throwing in the garbage, we're reading. <laughs> and so that's where we find out if there's a mutual fund manager change. And that's what we do when we're researching it and um, really vetting our managers that we follow. How did you know that I don't curl up with that 35-page document? <laughs> I just had a feeling, Danny. <laughs> all right. Next up from Harold, when do I need to buy a stock to get its dividend? Anything I need to watch for? Yeah, so there's a couple of main dates when it comes to dividend payout. So one is called an ex-dividend date, and then the other main one would be the pay date. You know, So real simple, a pay date is the day that you get that dividend. The ex-dividend is key, though, because it's when they figure out who is going to receive the dividend or not. And one thing to remember is that, so if the ex-dividend date for a stock is today, you had to buy that stock yesterday in order to get that dividend. Key thing to think about, though, on that ex-dividend date, because now they know who's going to get that dividend, the share price of that stock actually reduces by the amount of the dividend overnight in order to take an account that the dividend is going to be leaving. Think of it this way, the stock price goes down because now the company's worth a little bit less because that cash that they had, which was part of that company worth, they're going to about to send out to somebody else. So if you buy before the ex-dividend, you pay a little higher price, but you get the dividend. If you buy that on the ex-dividend date, lower price to buy it, but no dividend. For investment and retirement planning, tax planning and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference, our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the headline. Make a kid rich on a dollar a day. Is that possible? How does that work? That's next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Amy Bremer, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, is back. Hey, Amy. Hey, Danny. Amy spotted this awesome piece that we want to share, and it's fantastic for parents, but it might be even better for grandparents. Amy, recently I achieved grandparent status my, my first time. My wife and I have been wondering about things that we can do. This might be the ticket. And folks, this might work for you as well. Amy, let's set the stage with the headline, Make Your Kid Rich for a Dollar a Day. That's pretty compelling. Yeah, I thought so too. I've been sharing it with some clients. What's even more compelling is the possibility to help the kid reach $4 million by the time they reach 65. There are some caveats. Yes. So generally what this is, is a play on time value of money. So what we're advocating for is that you take all the dollars for the year and lump it all together. So $365 at once and you put it in at the beginning of the year. That's important. And then you can't just park it in a money market account. You have to invest it in some really aggressive investments, things like small cap stocks or a large cap index, something that's going to grow on average 10 to 12% per year. Okay. Math check. 
By doing that, by the time the kid is 18, they've invested $6,570, which is 18 times $365. But we haven't counted the annual investment compounding. Let's assume that it did stay invested. Yeah, so here, here's where the magic comes. By being in the market right. over those 18 years, assuming a 12% per year compounding rate, those investments are going to be over 20 grand by the time that child turns 18, all from a dollar a day. I'm getting ahead of myself, but is that money the kids at that point? Yes. So what we would want you to do is put it into an UTMA account. It's U-T-M-A. It stands for a Uniform Transfer to Minor Account. And when you put that money into that account, it's essentially an irrevocable gift to the child. But here's where the kicker comes. When that child turns 18 or 21, depending on what state you're in, that money becomes the child's money free and clear. So here's where, Danny, you and your wife need to talk to this future child child yes. when they're 18 or 21 right. and say, okay, grandma and grandpa have this gift for you, but now we want you to put it into your Roth IRA. So by moving it from that UPMA account to the Roth IRA, then it continues to cook for the next 60 some odd years until <laughs> the child retires. <laughs> yeah. You see where I'm going with this? That's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. We're with Amy Bremer, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. The headline is how to make your kid rich on a dollar a day. Maybe it should be a kid rich on a dollar a day. As a new grandparent, I'm really intrigued by this. Okay. Kid is now no longer a kid. They're 24. Where are they now? So on their 24th birthday, by then, hopefully they will have had enough earned income to make their full Roth IRA contributions. So you move the money from the UPMA account to the Roth IRA account. Uh, by the 24th birthday, those investments are going to be around $36,000. Wow. Well, well ahead of their peers for retirement savings at that time and stage in their life. Okay, let's get back to your cooking thing. Yeah, Because yeah. It, then it's going to sit in the oven for a while. In fact, let's jump ahead to now the kid is 66 years old and uh, I'm not around anymore, but that's okay. <laughs> that's I mean, I meant for this to happen what's going on then? exactly so fast forward your grandbaby 65 66 years old assuming the long-term growth rate of 12 percent on average per year that one dollar a day has now morphed into 4.1 million dollars hmm. now remember we put this into a roth ira and we're also assuming after that 365 dollars a year for 18 years, you've never added another dollar. Yeah. So it's purely the time value of money by starting early and investing aggressively and letting it sit and cook. So that 66-year-old is going to have $4.1 million on their 66th birthday, but it's in a Roth IRA. Yeah. All that money comes out to that, well, now adult, tax-free. Talk about generational wealth building. Let's hope from zero to 18, the kid has learned something about investing and being and having time in the market, making those important decisions between 18 and 24, and then all the planning things that are around it as well. It sounds like something that, that a wealth advisor would need to help a little bit about just to steer folks. A little bit, yeah. But part of that comes from mom and dad and grandma and grandpa teaching the child, showing them the statements when they're 17 and 18, maybe even earlier, 12 years old, yeah. explaining them why we're doing it and, and showing them that time in the market 
over the long run, wins. A couple of falls ago, we were raking in the front yard, and some of the kids from farther down the street came up. We were just kind of engaging them in conversation. And the one kid says to me, I have $12,000 in my college fund. I was like, that's great. I'm not sure your mom and dad want you to (laughs) be talking about that, but this is a fantastic thing. Amy, thank you so much for bringing this. My pleasure. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, know the difference. Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the Wealth Metric process. Remarkable stuff. How to make your kids rich on a dollar a day. Amy Bremer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Take care, Danny. You know, Annex makes it easy to meet. We've got a bunch of branches, Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee inside the Fister. We're in Madison, Naples, Florida, and Libertyville, Illinois. We're at AnnexWealth.com. Quick break. We're going to be back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We're back. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Annex Wealth Management and Spotify. So if you come in at the top of the hour and you want to hear the whole show in its entirety, that's great. Just search Annex Wealth Management. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. He's here today. Dave Spano is President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. Thanks, Danny. You know, Derek, we talk a lot about portfolio construction a lot. And, you know, there's other folks who, you know, tangentially are in the business, if you will. But how they put portfolios together is always interesting to us when they bring in their statements from other firms. A lot of times we see it just haphazardly or it's filled with passive investments like exchange traded funds or loaded with annuities. And so when we go through that, it's a rigorous process. And uh, I'm proud of the team. But, you know, one of the things for sure is as interest rates have been moving up and the Fed put has been removed, passive investments, uh, it really is not what it used to be. Right. And we've talked a lot about, you know, the the benefits of active management. And it was very difficult for portfolio managers to beat the S&P 500 when the top six names were all basically in the tech sector and all were beneficiaries in in a variety of different ways from the pandemic. So you would expect investors to to gravitate towards those as they outperform. But what we're starting to see this year and, and really for the better part of last year as well is that the equally weighted indexes, the ones that look at small caps and mid caps in addition to large caps, have really done a lot better. And and many of those companies are very cheap. In fact, the S&P itself is cheap if you take out those six or seven names, which was kind of why I referred to Coinbase. Well, you can look at a name like Tesla. That stock is almost up 80% year to date. That's a big move in a very large company. And the competition isn't going away. Yeah, so that's, you know, there's really made two major issues that have been developing over the last year or so. Number one, and we've covered this, is the move from quantitative tightening to quantitative easing. In other words, uh, taking money out of the economy instead of putting that in. And that's what was called the Fed put. So every downturn was bought because we thought there was going to be a V-type recovery because the Fed continued to put money into the economy. And number two, back to our passive investment story is that market cap weighted indices, especially the ones that have these six or seven names that you're talking about, they constitute an overweighted percentage that has changed too. So doing the work is going to matter. That's where I'm going with this is going through and understanding both fundamental and technical analysis. And this, of course, Derek, is something you've done for many decades. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, when you look when you think about the Fed, they have a variety of tools. One tool is hiking the Fed funds rate. And yes, they may be, you know, two two hikes away from stopping for a while to see what the effect is on the economy. But the other thing they're doing is they're reducing their balance sheet. Last month, the Fed's balance sheet shrank by $38 billion. That's a significant reduction, and that reduces liquidity. So just because the Fed isn't 
hiking rates doesn't mean that conditions are easy or or going to be more accommodative. And the Fed remains right in the middle of everyone's target because of two things that happened last year. One is sticking with uh, continuing to put money into the economy when inflation was certainly starting to show its ugly head. So they stayed too long. And number two, they stuck with transitory. In other words, they thought that this was going to pass. Both were wrong. And now, so right now, when, when the Fed speaks and Jerome Powell spoke this week and he says we're going to stick around for a while or even keep rates high, that certainly started a, a massive argument across financial advisors this week. Absolutely. And the data we've seen plus Powell's comments suggests that the odds of a hard landing, at least in 2023, have been significantly reduced. I mean, our base case was we might have a recession in 23, but the odds of a recession between now and 2024, roughly 75%. And we haven't really changed our view there. So what we're seeing now may be just an elongation of this slowing cycle. I I think it's going to be frustrating for investors. We do expect lots of volatility, but certainly the odds of of a hard landing have been reduced. And the last thing I want to leave with and leave the show with is, of course, you know, all recessions are not the same. What we had in 2008 was significantly different because of the cascading failure of financial institutions. That's not where we are today. Banks are in much better position. They're preparing for it. Companies are preparing for it. They're already laying off uh, folks to get ready. And so people are getting ready and, and hunkering down. So even if we have a recession, it may be a shallow one. And that is the reason why you have to keep your head up. And Derek, if you can, Buffett has often given us a lot of really thoughtful ideas as we head into a slowdown. What do you think Warren Buffett would say right now? I I think he'd say that when the tide goes out, you find out who's swimming naked. And those that went to cash into the end of last year because they had expectations concerning the economy were wrong again. We don't we don't invest in the economy. We invest in the individual equity markets and fixed income markets and take advantage of opportunities as it presents itself, not based on an economic view, but based on a fundamental analysis of what we believe will occur over the coming six to 12 months. Ladies and gentlemen, the team matters that you're working with. Amen, brother. Dave Spano, our president and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Derek Felsky, chief investment officer. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Folks, when you're looking at your plan, if you ask yourself, how am I doing? That is very, very natural. We run into that all the time. The other question you need to ask is, what am I missing? Go through the wealth metric process, investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. That's what we do. We use the power of the Annex Wealth Management team. Put it on your side. If competency, transparency, expertise, and deep resources are what you're looking for, that's how it works at Annex Wealth Management. We're going to be back next Saturday at 10. Hope you can join us. If you can't, find us on Spotify. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.